Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The fog smothers the land, blurring the vista all detail gone. A muted glow faintly pierces through the moon underwater. I'm Robbie Knox and I'm the landlord of the Moon Underwater, a mystical place where guests create their dream pub. The usual? Yes, yeah. please. Lager? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thanks. Yes, yeah. that would be lovely. Yeah. I mean, thanks very much. Oh, well, good landlord. I wouldn't, wouldn't forget that. What yeah, are we up to this week, Dan? Anything of excitement? Um, no, not really. I've just been, <laughs> um, no, wandering around the correct realm. Yeah. Drinking in here. Very good. Very good. Uh, yeah, it's been nice. Do you know what? I was talking with a few of the regulars in the pub the other day, mm. and they were telling me something I didn't know about you that you're an mm. expert in aerodynamics. Yeah, that's gave, right, yeah. Apparently you gave an excellent explanation of the science behind how an aeroplane flies, which is something I've never really understood. So could you just maybe tell me like, how, how air travel works? Yes, I can, yeah, yeah. Well, it's to do, uh, of course, with, with, first of all, you need speed, because obviously when you're on the yeah. runway and the plane starts... Yeah, no, no, I get that. Fast, I'm just yeah. wondering like, how, the, how, how it stays it's in the to air. Do, it's to do with uh, how the air moves around the plane, to do with thrust underneath and um, I mean I, I don't want to get too technical right yeah you, that, there was no risk of that, that didn't seem <laughs> yeah. didn't seem like I could have handled a bit more yeah technicality so it's definitely definitely thrust is, is a word that is to do with it okay yeah anyway. that's my memory oh well, yeah very good very good look at the window there Dan who's that oh, yeah. skating across the frozen lake down to the door the John Niven. John, how are you? Welcome to the Moon Underwater. Hi, nice to be here. An honour, an honour to have you here. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of your writing and, and very much looking forward to it. How was your journey through the realms today? Very good, very stress-free. Unlike Monday, I got caught in some chaos at Heathrow. Oh God, how was that? How was that? Very bad. Very bad. Yeah. Very bad for yours. Um, yeah. At one point, the BADS looked like um, a scene from the final reel of Zulu. It <laughs> was getting pretty, pretty spicy in there. I was once at an airport, and um, 
it was in it was in Milan and it was very late at night. It was supposed to be like an eleven thirty flight with Ryanair, and it was even delayed by like two hours. It was like one in the morning, and no one had no one was giving any information. There was no one there from the airline, and then this mum just snapped and went up to the desk, went behind the desk, and got on the intercom, tannoy. the tannoy, and broadcast to the thing to the entire. Airport saying hello. If anyone here from, is here from Ryanair, can you please come to the fucking desk and tell us what the fuck is going on? And then someone came over and started telling her off quite angrily. She's going, I don't care. I don't care. Just tell us what's happening. Yeah, there are a lot of people at the end of the ropes. But interestingly, um, I wound up doing something I never do. Um, I, well, this is going to make you sound like a punt, but for many years, um, being a being a BA. Silver cut, you know, you got the lounge, and I don't mm. go to the pubs at the airport. But, um, because of the security thing, it was a nightmare to get out. We'd gone through security, but there were going to be no flights, so you had to get escorted out of the terminal. Yeah, and so I wound up. This all took six hours, by the way, and I was at the edge of my mind. So I wandered back out in Terminal Five, and I thought, I'm going to hit the sort of Weatherspoons yeah. type <laughs> airport pub for a drink. And, um, yeah, I hadn't been in one of those sort of boozers for a while. Uh, it's full of the sort of, well, this was the late afternoon, but on the way down from Edinburgh, you know, you see these days, 4.45 in the morning, this was a very early flight, I caught 4.45 in the morning, that in the Weatherspoons, on yeah. the white wine, on the pints, yeah. you know, yeah. at 4.45am, yeah. I'm like, that's real wolf, that, you know. And they're always full. That's yeah. There's was never ra- a table, it's the, very the, hard the, to find. The Weatherspoons was absolutely ran. There you go. Well, on to pubs. Yeah. Airport pubs. Model pro. Uh, John, you've recently released a memoir, Oh Brother, mm. uh, in which you detail the life of your late brother, Gary, alongside your own life. I've talked about the book quite a bit. So could you just give a brief description? I'm sure you're well practiced in by now of what the book is for anyone who hasn't read it yet. The book's kind of tells our stories in parallel. And it's an attempt to answer that question of how does the black sheep in the family become the black sheep? And how do these two kids fashion what look like very different outcomes from the same material? You know, we were brought up the same way in the same family, ostensibly. Of course, you try, you begin unpicking that and you realise that things weren't exactly the same, you know, that there were personality differences, differences in the family, dynamic, order, and then choices you begin making in your sort of early teens, you know. These all feed into where you end up, you know. Yeah, it's a fabulous book. It did make me think about my own parenting and my kids as well. I think, hang on, is everything fair with all these things? You're actually the second or third person who's mentioned that, um, who's asked kind of, has it, did writing the book make you reevaluate how you Hmm. you raise your own kids? Uh, And to a degree, yes. I mean, my dad, I see this in the book, my dad was an old father when I was born, he was 42, so my dad was born in 1924. So... His dad was born in 1890-something, the Victorian yeah, yeah. age. So we, you have the notion that parenting is a progressive thing, that, you know, you're slightly more reasonable than your parents were and your kids will hopefully be, you know, uh, generation, generationally it improves. So, I mean, my dad was a generation that, yeah, they did corporal punishment. They was hit, they were kids, you know, not savage, fierce beatings, but there was fire, you know, there was, we would get hit and slapped and Gary more than me because he was more obstinate, I guess, you know. And I've never hit my children, but I do shout at them now and then. And yeah. you come to realise that that's it's a pretty huge thing if you're towering over a tiny little kid and mm. 
I mean, some things it's difficult and they're toddlers and they're just trying to kill themselves every five minutes yeah. and try to stick their fingers in an electric socket or jump off a wall. <laughs> it's hard not to, you know, the only way to impress them that that is not a good idea is to raise your voice. But I've consciously tried not to do that yeah. so much, you know. It's hard to sort of set those boundaries mm. and make those firm boundaries that they, they know but not shout. <laughs> well, we're all human, you know, and sometimes you'll be tired, it'll be, you know, whatever reason but yeah and writing the book and looking at kind of what went wrong for gary it did make me think about those questions a bit and resolve to try and do a bit better has your mum read the book no um she won't i i told her not to do that i told her i was writing it and uh, she knows about it she's obviously been seeing with quite a lot of press in the last couple of weeks but uh, this whole subject of my brothers to 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 clue people in my brother was you know we we both grew up in a working class family in the west coast of Ayrshire and I went on to university and then worked in the music industry and then became a novelist in my mid-30s as my brother became a sort of minor league drug dealer who then went to prison for three years and then killed himself when he was 42 uh, and it's sort of trying to make trying to make sense of suicide and how families get through the aftermath of that is also part of the book but that whole subject is still just too raw for my mum you know, mm -hmm. to, to deal with. Um, so it's just best if she doesn't. My sister's also a big part of the book. And uh, yeah. she read very early drafts and had some great notes and thoughts and didn't really want... The only thing she wanted excised was there was a scene where we were both smoking back in the 90s. She said, <laughs> oh, Jesus, the kids don't know if I smoked. Can you, can you take that out? And I said, okay. But I've now talked about that in loads of interviews. And yeah. that from me. They're going to find out anyway. Sorry, Linda. Hopefully they don't listen to, listen to this then. Um, I know... Uh, Quite a bit about your teenage years already from the book, but what were your first experiences of pubs and drinking? Well, being from the West Coast of Scotland, pubs were these fantastically romantic, exotic places to me. You would, in the high street in Irvine back in the 70s, there were probably seven really happening pubs. There's now one, which is a nationwide story. But you go by these doorways and you just get a glimpse into men at the bar and the glow of the pumps, the you know, the the logos of the beer and the pumps and the air would be thick with smoke and there'd often be tartan carpets and it just looked to me like a magical I could not wait to yeah. get be able to go into pubs when I was a kid. It just looked like this um glamorous, sophisticated fantasy land to me. Uh, and so it being the West Coast of Scotland in the well, in the early 80s at this point, I think I was 15, when I finally got into the Turf Arms in Irvine, which was the which is the one pub that's still going. I was in there for a pint a few weeks ago. It's um, it's an old, you know, I've been there since the 18th century, I would think. Um, there's a they'd three back then they'd three bars that were always round. There was the public bar at the front where the older men drank. And then there was a sort of little lounge where the ladies would sit. And then there was a back lounge where we would all go as teenagers, you know. And sort of Friday through Sunday, every room of this pub was rammed. And so I was 15, and I was with one of my mates and Tam Morrison from school, who was much bigger than us. And he sort of fronted the operation and <laughs> up the bar, and we locked behind Just like him. yourself up, don't yeah. you? And I remember he was drinking heavy, and I, I was like, oh, that looks a bit much. So I had whatever the house lacked. It would be tenants, I guess, or McEwen, yeah. something like that. Um, but it was 70 pence a pint. Uh, I remember clearly that was the sort of, my 72 pence was for a pint. And we, because Tam was so big, he got served fine, and we just sort of stood in the shadow drinking. And then some other mates of ours who didn't have a Tam with them came in <laughs> and who just looked like, literally looked like 15 and walked 
can't remember who it was, but the first one went up to the bar and went, four pints of lager, mate. And the barman went, what are you going to do with it? Like, what do you mean? He's like, you're going to have a fucking bath in it, fine, but you're not drinking it in here. This <laughs> kid's face was just burning bright scarlet as he, as he left the pub. Was, was Tam in quite big demands of drinking, buddy, then? Hey, boy, Tam was a big guy. He, well, you know what it's like at school? I was at 15, I still looked like a 12, 13-year-old. Yeah. But Tam was one of those kids who like a full Tom Selleck, magnum <laughs> PI moustache, and was six foot tall, you know, at the same age, you know? So it was that strange early teens where some of you have sprouted and some of you haven't, you know? So you, you needed a Tam in the firm to get served. You look very young, didn't you, Dan? Yeah, I used to have a. I look, yes, very, very young. I, I, I think I said to you before, I used to have to take when I did turn 18. I didn't bother going for I was 18 because I mean, I looked like I was 13 when I was 18. Mm -hmm. So I used to take my literally take my passport. It was, I was like, <laughs> you're not going to believe any other form of ID. So but I had a friend a bit like him, uh, uh, Gareth at school. And we were, we were really good friends, but we must have looked so odd because I looked like I was about 13 and he was like, Tam, he, he had, you know, could grow. By the end of the day, he had a full five o'clock shadow. <laughs> shadow he was yeah. like fourteen. Yeah, yeah, and you guys like that too. And he was six foot. We must have we must have looked like ten years uh, age difference going around together. It was strange, but yeah. John, pubs and alcohol feature a fair bit in your novels. Mm -hmm. What is it about the pub that is an attractive location for storytelling? Um, I think it's a was a sort of bubble world isn't it you sort of go into the pub and it's its own little hermetically sealed place where depending how long you're going to stay there how much you're going to drink the outside world just kind of gradually ceases to matter um because the whole notion of the moon underwater and orwell's prose is a, is a fictional entity it yeah. doesn't exist so i think we'll carry this idealized pub in our mind that you very rarely find i mean especially now i mean i lived in london for a long time and, uh, you know, there were lots of good pubs and bars. It was This was the mid-90s, so it was just at the cusp when the kind of old men's pub was... I first came from the late 80s, where most of the pubs were still flaking paintwork and, you know, crusty carpets and, you know, pies and a warmer on the counter, you know. It was still that kind of Martin Amos pub world. That By the 90s, that was gradually getting replaced by, you know, kills of, um, you know, Sauvignon and Chardonnay and Polish yeah. would flow everywhere. It was gradually getting gastrified. And so I left Notting Hill at the time, and I remember the pub that we thought could never be gastrified was the Errol Percy, which was up towards Labrick Grove, oh, yeah. the, the far north end yeah. of, of, of um, Labrick Grove. Um, and it, eventually, yeah, I think it must have been early noughties, uh, I drove by one day and I noticed the, the work coming in, beginning the process yeah. of <laughs> gastrifying the Errol Percy. Oh, so that was loving a skip out the front. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but um, I... It's hard now because I live out in Buckinghamshire and uh, there's not many, there's one very good pub near us, but it's, it's too far to walk because it's a sort of 15 minute drive. So my, you know, my my pub going is somewhat reduced. It tends to be when I'm on traveller on tour and then you're often confronted with the scenario described at Heathrow, you know, it's some <laughs> rubbish pub at a train station or, a, or whatever, you know. Yeah. We, um, you worked in the music industry for quite a while. I didn't work in the music industry, but when I worked at Soccer AM at Sky, I was booking the music and do, choosing all the music for the show. So I was, like yourself, going to quite a lot of gigs, mm. imagine. And I really enjoyed, you know, Brother, when I saw a reference to 
Camden's Marathon Bar. <laughs> Could you, for someone who, for anyone who's never seen this in its pomp, because I think it might have lost its late license these days. Yeah, I think can, I can you explain the concept of the Marathon Bar? Well, the Marathon was uh, it's basically like a kebab shop <laughs> in the front, sort of you know low rent Greek restaurant, and you went through the back, and it was basically like a sort of drinking club, sort of groucho club for the underclass, if you know. <laughs> but they would be open till like four and five a.m. Yeah. routinely or longer sometimes. And the musical entertainment was a sort of um, Elvis impersonator who played guitar, yeah. sort of rock. See, Elvis, that's not quite fair. It's sort of rockabilly, rock and roll. He looked dude, like yeah. a really skinny Elvis. Yeah, didn't and he? many a night in there, if you gave him like 10, 20 quid, he'd hand you the guitar and you could do a couple of numbers <laughs> yourself. Um, and I wound up when, yeah, I wound up singing a few numbers in there on uh yeah but it's essentially job, but, a kebab uh, shop you can drink in isn't yeah, it yeah 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 you yeah, and you know you, 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 you take your kebab yeah yeah, yeah you could you, you know, they give you a kebab at the table yeah, kebab yeah. and chips at the table and it was uh you know that was the kind of you sometimes need that kebab come three o'clock in, yeah. in the morning <laughs> but it was um it was great except it was you know um and at the height of brit pop you know everybody went there you know you get blur in one corner and whoever in the other you richard holly and yeah. It was just a, it was a great scene, you know. It's fabulous. And one of my favourite things about it is that, um, I don't know if it's still, I've not been for a number of years, but they there were photos that they had of various musicians and celebrities and things that have been in there. But they clearly hadn't told them in advance that they were having that photo <laughs> taken. So those pictures of like Liam Gallagher looking up from a kebab start. <laughs> 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 That's right. Amy Winehouse, I think, too. Uh, yeah, it was... Um, a candid shot. A candid shot. Yeah, actually, but, but not, not completely candid. They just find out at the moment of photography yeah. that they're being And I think it was the guys who owned it had no... Um, they didn't know who half these people were and didn't care. So there was nobody, nobody was getting treated better than MDLs because they were a bit famous. It was just like... You know, here's your pint, here's your kebab, shut up. It's the most bizarre place. It was the most bizarre place. And I remember just going in for the first time to get a kebab and going, mm. hang on, we can mm. have a drink here. And there's yeah. Elvis out of the back. It, it was a lot more fun than the Groucho. Yes. <laughs> right? But yeah, the, the, the other thing that happened to me in terms of not drinking, uh, 1995 when Soho House opened on Greek yeah. Street, I got invited to be a founder member by a friend who was. And I remember it was I think membership fee was something like three or four hundred quid a year, and every and which I actually got London Records to pay for in the grounds that I was going to use it for entertaining bands and stuff. So I didn't oh, even pay my first year membership, but I was mocked furiously because some of the lads were already Groucho members, so they were look, immediately looked down in this new place, So House, because there's only one. Some point to say yeah. there are hundreds of So Houses all over the world now, but there was only this one on Greek Street, opposite the Coach and Horses, and uh, I. I was mocked for joining it because they all thought, this is going to fold. This was shut within a year, you know, and your money's up the creek, sort of thing. And nobody knew it was going to become this huge success to what it did. But the big attraction uh, of Soho House when it first opened that first branch was uh, Valley Parking. It's the only place in London they had Valley Parking for a fiver. Oh, wow. You would, you would oh, nice. throw in the car keys and they'd take it away and park it in NCP. And when you went to leave, they'd bring it back. And it was like, like in LA. You know, it's, uh, obviously that only lasted for two or three years before it was like being so widely abused. And I also think of people's cars getting left in NCPs for like four days, you know, that kind yeah. of thing, because they, you know, yeah, I'll just have one, and then it'd be like, 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, five hours later. Oh yeah. yeah that's leave, gonna mount up that cost. Better leave the car. You know? Yeah. Um so yeah, that was it was great. And that immediately that that original Soho house those first few years was a, a great great hangout, you know. Yeah. Food was good. And they had a great bar in there talking, you know, I know it's not a pub thing, it's a members club, but yeah. they had a sort of circular um nickel topped bar yeah. through yeah. the back that you could, you know, sit right around and it was just, you know, fabulous hangout. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Before we get on to picking your choices for this, Dan, you've got a bell. Oh, yeah, I've got my bell. Oh, God, am I going to be judged? No. No, 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 no. <laughs> no judgment here. Nothing like that. Um, yeah, this is my bell, which I, I liberated from a... Um, tugboat. A tugboat, yeah. Uh, and, why, why were you on a tugboat? Well, I, I came to the correct <laughs> realm, and uh, I was wandering around down by the um, down by the river, down by the, the estuary, and it, it was on the... It was beached, basically. It's been oh, abandoned. Okay. And I had to wander on and I found the bell. Okay. And and this bell will go off if, if one of your choices sometimes materialises on the bar and you can either take that choice away or we can all have a, a taste of it. Okay. It doesn't always happen. Okay. But if it does, you'll hear the bell. I'll hear the bell. I, and, that was just uh, a test bell. To uh, yeah. That's a test <laughs> yeah. bell. I understand so the concept that, of the bell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, everyone's on the right page here with yeah. regards to bell. Yeah. Uh, John, you get two draft choices uh-huh. in the moon underwater. What is your first choice? A Guinness, I think, I put in there. Again, it was one of those... I go to I go to Ireland quite a lot. My ex has ex's family have a house in County Clare. So I've been going there to Kilkee in the summers now for... God, over 20 years. and uh, But I discovered Guinness, I guess, in the late 80s. You would see people drinking it in pubs. Nobody drank it in Scotland. In Ayrshire, it was all a lager or heavy culture. But when I first started coming to London, 
you'd see guys drinking Guinness and it looked so amazing to me. I thought, that looks delicious. It looked like, I thought it was going to taste like sort of foamy Coca-Cola. So then obviously <laughs> the first time I tasted it, I was like, are you winding me up? <laughs> I, I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I thought it was going to taste so nice and it was just as bitter. But of course, Guinness is one of those things like liver and steaks, so you have to develop a taste for, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm not Guinness snob, I don't get into this rubbish, but oh, the best pints and yeah. you know, Dublin, you can't go in there. I'll drink it wherever. So, but it's, it's one of those things that if you didn't, yeah. I'm not huge, to be frank, I'm not a huge beer guy. No. I've never been able to drink, you know, these guys, you know, you get to drink 10 pints. It just looks insane to me. I've never been able to drink more than two or three. In fact, the pub I was talking about earlier in Irvine, where I first started drinking as a teenager, there's a pub called Amanda's, which was at the top of the mall and you went down a staircase. It was quite a glam bar. And we're in there once, when I was about 17, and we suddenly had to leave. We suddenly realised we were late for something. In the days when not everybody had a phone, where you were always aware of the time, we'd be trying to something, we've got to go and somebody just get around in. So it was like, you got to chug that. And then I'm like, oh, pint, are you crazy? Yeah. So anyway, I remember I somehow managed to gun this entire pint down, got to the top of the staircase and just threw a hop <laughs> all, all over the edge of the mall. So now I'm not, a, I'm not a rugby player, let's gun 10 pints sort of thing, but to have a nice a pint or two of Guinness is a very good thing. It was a very adult drink when you're young, doesn't it? It looks yeah. like it's what, what men it look, drink. It looked very pro, you know? Um, so no, I, 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 and I love it. And there's, there's a bar called, a pub called The Greyhound, which is pretty, actually, you're talking ideal pubs, The Greyhound in Kilkee is pretty, it's a proper old Irish boozer with a really labyrinth. There must be five or six little rooms that you go through. And I met some great friends there through drinking a lot of Guinness when I, well, as I say, it was 20 years ago when we first went, I was probably my capacity for drinking was a bit greater than it is now. <laughs> just on early 30s, maybe. And um, and it was kind of pub where they routinely have musical jam sessions. And so the first time I'm in there, I'm really drunk. And there's these guys in the corner, there's a woman called the Vaughan playing guitar and her partner, Dorky, playing fiddle and somebody's got a bar in it. They were doing all sorts of stuff, Neil Young and doing all, and I play guitar a lot too. So the drunker I was, I was saying to my friend that was with, I was like, I wanna get up there and play. And he's like, I'll go and talk to him, see if we can get you on. He, I'd, I'd just finished working in the music business. I guess the last company I was at, Independiente, we just had really big success with Travis. Mm. And, I think he went up and he said to them, look, this guy over here is from London, but he's worked, in the, he's worked with Travis. And I don't know how this gets mangled in the Chinese whispers, but the next thing I hear is that they finish whatever song he goes, and now to give us another number, we've got your man from Travis here. And I'm, and I'm like, oh my God, I'm literally getting introduced. This guy's like, and he's going, just, you got to front it out, you got to just do it. So I just walk up there and I'm like, yeah. And like, of course, maybe outside the singer Fran, nobody knows what any of Travis, I'm Scottish, that's fucking going to do it, right? So I sit down and we join in and we have a great jam session. I'm there playing guitar with these guys till at four o'clock in the morning. And Dockey's the fiddle player, is still to this day one of my best friends. And he told me a few years later, like I fessed up like a couple of years later. And he said something like, I oh, know, yeah, I thought that, but you know, who, who cares? You, you, you could play guitar well enough, you, you're good enough to sit in, you know? So, But the next day, I remember walking down the high street and some 90 year old Irish woman was walking past me the street and she went oh I love your sound uh, the Travis and I'm like <laughs> oh. 
I'm going to get done so. for impersonating a member of Travis. And, a great yeah. thing that there might have been people there that night for years have been telling the story, story. about how the they night, saw. The night, yeah. the guy, thank God it was just before camera phones. I was yeah. like, that <laughs> guy from... That, <laughs> one, <laughs> that, that, that once happened to me at the Glastonbury Festival. I was We were walking from one place to another with my good and long-standing friends, the Chemical Brothers. And me and Tom, who's at the time yeah. with the long blonde hair, kind of got separated from the others. And these Japanese Chemical Brothers fans materialised from nowhere and sort of mobbed us and they really wanted a photo. And they just thought that I was Ed. They're thinking I'm the other one. They're going to get a photo. And I'm going to Tom, I'm trying to explain to these sort of Japanese. And Tom just went, just, just, just do it. And so I thought stood with Tom and took his <laughs> photograph. Like, imagine these Japanese guys came back home and going, we have a photo with Chemical Brothers. Who the fuck is that? He's not in the Chemical Brothers. He's from uh, Travis, isn't idiot. he? Yeah. <laughs> Idiotic drunk Scotsman. Yeah, I the same face as the comedian Joe Wilkinson and so a lot of the time we'd get we'd get mixed up when I used to be on Soccer Aim a bit before he was on TV he would get people thinking it was me and now uh-huh. it's gone the other way sort of thing with people thinking um, that I'm I'm him and occasionally we'll, we'll just message Facebook uh-huh. just saying I was just in it he was messaging me saying I was just in Italy and someone follows you I just went with it I hope that's all right so we're going, yeah fine <laughs> yeah just, just, go, with just go with it always um, Guinness probably the most popular yeah it's, choices. It's, a, it's the 23rd time in, in really in Moon Under pod history yeah oh wow so it's really popular but, yeah you know it's what we said I think we said once before that it's I guess the you know, people will pick different lagers. I have their favourite lagers. I love their mm. favourite ales. But generally, if you're going to pick a stout, people will pick Guinness. So, well, if you, when it comes to lagers, I was make choice for the draft was good. Yeah. I think Stella. Yeah, because I have no discrimination when it comes to lagers. Mm. At zero palate for it. It's just like so I like a strong premium lager if I'm going to have a lager. So whether it's Estrella, whether it's you know um Cronenberg or Stella or um you know Stella Pramen, it, uh, I will tend to I quite like it when people all order the same drinks. It drives me mad. If you go to the bar and you say I'll have a Stella Pramen then it's always oh no I'll have a Australia or Oliver, well, they're all basically yeah, the same yeah. thing. Let's all just yeah, yeah. can we not just order four pints of this? Yeah. Do we have to get in there. five different, slightly different? <laughs> things? Piss off! You tell me, I blindfold you right now, gun at your head. You're telling the difference between Cronenberg and Australia. Fuck yeah, you, you yeah. know. Although I suppose I mean, you get real aficionados listening to this. You're going, yes, I could. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I don't. Couldn't. You know, no. a pint of cold strong lager is a pint of cold strong lager wherever you are. Yeah. I, in, in my view. I'm sure there are people who can tell the difference, but there's not there's not a huge amount of daylight between them, I would, no. I would argue. And I, I'd enjoy the uniformity of a fast, clean order of four, five pints of whatever, the same thing, you know. So Stella's your second draft choice. Is that your, if you are getting a lager, that is your default go-to? That's kind of, yeah, I think Stella almost a sort of generic benchmark for strong premium lager. Yeah, you know, pair of hands, Yeah, yeah, you know. it? yeah. And you can't, obviously, when I started drinking Stella, it was universally referred to as wife beater. Mm, yeah. Which I was always unsure as to whether that meant you're kind of wearing a wife beater vest yeah. while you're drinking or whether you're, the Stella will cause domestic violence. Was yeah. the application. And there is the reason as well that uh, because of Stella and a streetcar named Desire, that's the other, that's, oh. that's the third connection. Connection. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So Stanley. Stanley sort of, Kowalski. Yeah. 
Ah, Snape uses her, so and she's Stella. So. Oh, I'm, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. That's but I, don't know, I don't know whether that's whether whether an incredibly highbrow. Yeah, uh, but the, the, the <laughs> other reason, or sometimes make the lager decision on, is based on what fancy glass you get with it. Yes. For instance, the San Miguel glass is very attractive mm. glass yeah. to to get. You mm. know, so I would choose that if it came with the San Miguel glass. The Stella one they do now has got a little. But a little it's like stem. a goblet thing, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. at the bottom uh-huh. there. That's quite a pleasant also, glass. And for a while, what's the Belgian one? Lef, um, yeah. The yeah. blonde one yeah, that, that yeah. people were having for all that always was sort of gobleted mm. up. So, But I'm quite big in glassware. Yeah. It's very important to me, even at home in a domestic environment, that the drinks are served in the correct glasses. Yes. I'll get kind of angry if they're not. <laughs> I, it's happened to me recently a few times where, they, where I've ordered an, an ale and they've offer me the choice of glasses, which is quite nice. Mm. I mean, it's another thing to have yeah, to think yeah. about at the bar, well, but it's actually... It is. Well, back in the day when I started drinking, the choice was obviously, you know, a straight glass or a dimpled mm. pint yeah. pot. You yeah, know, exactly. Yeah. Famously, Michael Caine and uh, Get Carter, and when he goes up north, makes a big point of asking for his lager in a straight glass, and probably yeah. because that was some kind of urbanite London sophistication, <laughs> yeah. you know, you, weren't, you didn't have the dimpled pint pot. You see the dimpled pint pots that often now, do no. you? Yeah. But that's what I was being offered when they did it. So yeah. it's almost like they're making a sort of yeah. quiet comeback in some pubs, yeah, yeah. I guess. And I think, because when I was a kid in the period I was talking to you about earlier, when these pubs look like magical, fantastic places, that when you look 13, 14, those big dimpled pint pots, they look vast. They look like mm, a fish yeah. bill. And, a, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's why America, you get a beer in America, it's like just just over one of our halves, really, yeah. isn't it? It's like, mm. you know, and Americans come here and they're like, holy shit, you expect yeah. to drink six <laughs> yeah. of these? You, you might not. Because Americans will often say, oh, I had five beers last night. What they mean is they had five bottles of, yeah. say, Heineken, right? Yeah. Like, no, mate, you had five halves. You had <laughs> yeah. two and a half yeah, pints. Yeah, yeah. You had what I'd have before I leave the house. You <laughs> fruit. So they, they come here, they're suddenly in the pub and like, yeah, I had like 18 beers last yeah. night. And like, yeah, in three hours with 18 beers, mate. Yeah. yeah of I've, your beers. I've spoken about this before on here, but when, when American says, we're going to get fucked up tonight. Their definition of fucked yeah. up and mine are very, yeah. very different. Yeah, it's yeah. like, I got a bit of a buzz. Yeah, yeah the drinking, because I spend quite a lot of time in LA as a screenwriter, and the drinking culture there just cracks me up because people, they, when we go to a party, you go to the party and you stay at the party, right? They'll yeah. tend to hit two or three in one night and they drive everywhere. Yeah. So the drinking methodology, the most popular drink you see is a long tequila. So it'd be like a small measure of tequila, with half a pint of soda, which they will nurse for like the entire time that this party, like an hour and a half, you know, yeah. they might just sip half of it. I'm like, hey, you're not drinking. Yeah. As Lana Del Rey says, if you ain't drinking, you ain't playing. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> don't be telling me that's drinking, sipping half of a watery tequila and soda yeah. over a three hour period. Fuck you. I lived in Canada for a year and they have a general feeling of superiority over America concerning beer, and they'd always say things like, "How are you handling our Canadian beer?" Because yeah. they used to go, "What the four point one percent?" Yeah, yeah. Come, from, come from the continent of Prague. I think I can probably manage this. The, the, and then the game team was a student. We used to go to the Edinburgh Festival every summer. We could, we, were, we were in Glasgow University, but we had friends in Edinburgh, and we'd go through and hang out at the festival. And I still to this day associate Edinburgh with the smell of beer, the smell of hops and wheat that you get as you come into the city. Um, and I remember vividly, it must have been about 1986 or 7, when Red Stripe launched Crucial Brew. Black can, Red Stripe, 
as they say, it should say in the can, don't make any plans. Crucial, <laughs> crucial brew, crucial brew was 8%. Oh, so it was just like, it was quite expensive, but I mean, there was a reason for that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like three cans of this, you would be out of your garandas. You know, it was like hallucinogenic. Um, famously, Kings Lemus always said that Carlsberg special brew um, has restor restorative properties known to no other beer, indeed no other liquid. Um, he would that was his favourite lager was special brew, and so crucial brew was like this plus you know it was oh, the, the it was very thick dark sort of treacly beer. Did, did it taste like special brew? Because I've had a couple of cans of special and brew at time, and it was like I've only tar. I was only funnily enough I only I've only ever drunk special brew once, which I had a former my first wife's father. <laughs> he was, this became a family catchphrase to this day. He um, he wasn't really a sort of pub or drinky guy at all, and I was I was in I was in the music business at the time, and I'd been away in some work thing, and I was coming home, and then we we're all going off to our house rent on the highway somewhere that they'd sorted all this out, and I was just turning back and going, and so he was charged. One of his responsibilities was to get some booze in for the week. So the old fruit, knowing nothing about beer, went off and bought special brew. He just thought this, you know. So I came, I'm, 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 I'm going to catch a six pack of Carlsberg special brew. I'm like, who the fuck? Who's bought special brew? And he, he's like, would you like one? And he, and he starts pouring it into a glass. And I went, this might be the first time a can of special brew has actually been poured yeah. into, rather than straight into the gob of a tramp on the street. And as I said this, he looked at, he looked at the can and he went, but it's, Carlsberg's a, a very reputable brewery. <laughs> So this is their special one. <laughs> They're a very stuff. reputable brewery. So that line has become a family buy catchphrase right. for just getting the wrong thing and completely <laughs> shitting the bed. They're very reputable, you know. Yeah. John, I remember a story a few years ago, and I might have imagined this, but of you getting turned away from a pub for being on your own in Soho. I saw some story about it. Yeah. Getting turned away from a pub for being... I mean... You didn't remember this well. Was news, yeah, news it was, there was a little article, maybe it was in um, sort of the Metro or something, and you'd been out in so and you tried to go into a bar for a drink, and you had a bit of time to kill before a meeting or something. Oh, and they, it and they, the uh, And you got turned away, and you sort of said, well, well, you're by yourself, sir. And you, you, <laughs> you just... <laughs> I'm, I'm going to find this. You're finding the story. find the story. It's it, quite a funny story, but, I mean, it, the thing, I mean, just to get... Oh... Yeah, I can vaguely like remember. It's like a beat one or all bar one. Type yeah, of it was something like that. Yeah. I think. In their defence, I was probably pretty drunk at that point. If I, was <laughs> if I was trying to get into an all bar one and so, then I think all bets are off at that point. <laughs> Here we go. I found it from from the website My London. I know a lot about My London. Beat uh, one refused entry to famous author because he was on his own. Uh, <laughs> A published author and screenwriter has refused entrance to a cocktail bar in Soho because he was on his own. John Niven, who wrote the book Kill Your Friends, was out <laughs> in the popular night spot for a party on Saturday, February 1st, and decided to grab a quick drink at a nearby bar due to him being early. He headed to be at one Regent Street branch on Beak Street, that doesn't make sense, uh, and attempted to go to the bar. John was stopped by door staff and asked if he was meeting anyone, to which he responded by saying he was not. A member of staff then asked what he wanted, and he replied, a drink. <laughs> For an unknown and unexplained reason, John was denied entrance with the door staff saying there was no single entrance. In a, in a tweet on his social media page, oh, I know, some, oh, some on. Adverts, 
<laughs> I mean, the first thing to say here is that must have been a slow news week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It must have been. Um, my London contact is Stonegate Pub Company. I forgot to say it's one of these websites. They contacted the pub. They, they wanted to get a quote from them. Uh, who owns Beat One, along with other well-known chains like Stug and Letters and Walkabout, to ask if this is the current policy. A spokesman of the company said Beat One operates a strict door policy to ensure the safety and enjoyment of all its customers. <laughs> <laughs> my appearance clearly heralded the end of yeah. everyone's safety and enjoyment. Yeah. Do you enjoy a solo pub trip? Uh, I do actually. Well, I, I'm, you know, I've got four kids, so you enjoy an anything solo. Yeah. You know, uh, breakfast at the hotel on your own with your book, uh, yeah. dinner and a drink at that. You know, uh, I had a nightcap at the hotel last night, which was just lovely to sit at the bar for. I love. I tell you what, I love. Um, she like an American airport bar, but a good one with yeah. a really thick mahogany bar that's long with proper stools. Yeah, where you can plot up at the bar and you know a couple of Bloody Marys before your flight or that kind of hotel bar, nice hotel bar, which is like um, Malmaison and Glasgow last night. I've got a big circular bar that you can sit around. I love that. I love to sit at the bar. I know, as we know, Americans do do cocktails and beers and stuff well. You know, yeah, there's always a frosted glass and it's. You know, you you get you get a you can get a better martini at an American airport bar than you'll get in half the places in yeah. in London. You know, you know, you, at least in London you've got a shot at getting a decent martini if you're in somewhere nice. You know, they're often way too weak. You, you get I don't, half people don't understand what a dry martini is. Um, and then what? Again, I'm going to say like an absolute pawns, but forget trying to order anything like that as soon as you go north of Watford. You are doomed, mate. I, I was in Glasgow a few years ago and out for dinner with my friend, the crime writer, Alan Parks. And I said, I really fancy a nice martini. He said, Oh, there's meant to be a good new cocktail bar in the Merchant City. And I'm thinking, mm, This is probably going to be toilet, but we'll give it a go. We go in, and a sort of 19 year old waiter comes up and I'm thinking, right, Immediately, this is not yeah. filming with co- This is not sort of 95 <laughs> year old Italian guy you get yeah. in Rome who's been doing this all his life. So they said, uh, I said, Can I have a dry martini? I don't mind in the gin, tankery is fine, but it needs to be very dry. That that means very little vermouth. Basically, just rinse the glass. And they're looking at me as if I'm <laughs> anyway, they, they walk off, and I'm standing there, and I have to go back and think the glass looks ominously not clear. And I take up, and I've literally been handed a glass of pure vermouth. It's a, <laughs> yeah. There's no gin in it. What this person got from that speech was bring me only vermouth. Yeah. I don't want any gin in it. They're literally the opposite of what I just said. So I'm like, you don't roll the dice in that fancy stuff outside of W1. Go to Jukes. I mean, you've been to Jukes. You ever had a martini there? Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. Jukes Bar in Mayfair, uh, in Jukes Hotel. It's where Ian Fleming invented the James okay. Bond martini. Oh, yeah. no, I don't know. And they make the martinis at your table. Um, ice freezing glass, freezing cold gin, just a little rinse of Noali Pratt in the glass, and then it's just be handed a tank of just basically freezing cold neat gin, yeah. which is what a martini should be. But they've had to introduce, uh, they've introduced in the last few years a two drink maximum. You cannot have more than two. You used to be able to. Um, yeah. And I, you know, there's many a person, <laughs> the first time I took Caitlin Moran there, and she's like, oh, wow, it's amazing. Like three martinis later, just <laughs> staggering out. And she, I mean, you drink three of these, you really are, you know, flying by instruments at that point. <laughs> You, you mentioned um, you mentioned saying how um, any, anywhere when you've got young kids is is mm. any solo time uh, is great. And long haul flights in general used to be something I dreaded having to sit in a plane, and then the thought of 
Oh yeah, hedgehog because the thought of just being somewhere that you couldn't contact. Yeah, yeah. No one can get. No one can get at you. You know. I remember the comedian um, Louis C.K. Uh, saying, talking about holidays when you've got kids. The, the time between you shutting yes. their car door and opening yours is yeah. the only <laughs> two seconds. When you walk around the back of the car to get to yours, that's my holiday. Yeah. You get two bottles of all cans as well for, for your moon underwater choices. Yeah. Here, John, what's your first option? Well, I think because we've got draft beer, I don't see quite the need for cans. I think this was some, felt natural to me to move into wine here. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm, apologies, the Pons card is obviously going to come crashing down. But I do like a nice Mon Rocher. I'm not fussing whether it's Pillinger or, um, uh, yeah, what's the other one? God damn it, John. Chassin, uh, Mon Rocher. Um, I love Mon Rocher, and the that that be the white. Um, it's not a cheap wine, um, but we had but we we got quite a big garden at our house. So we do quite a bit of entertaining, and the in the summers, we have a few big lunch parties in the garden, and had a few people coming. This was last last summer, and so we went to buy uh, went to to supermarket. I, I wouldn't name the chain of supermarkets for reasons that will become apparent in a moment. And we go in and they've got a Mon Rocher about 32 quid a bottle, which actually isn't bad. So we'll grab a couple. We got them through them, got a few other bits and pieces. We got them go through the till. We'll look at my wife, Charlotte, looks at the receipt and she goes, it's quite cheap. This is the wine. I went there. She went, look at that. She hands me the receipt. The Mon Rocher, for some reason, has scanned through at £3.20 wow. rather than £32 a bottle. So I'm like, got to go oh, back. Exactly. So straight, <laughs> so straight back, I'm back to the shelf. But I'm thinking there's there's about 14 bottles up there. I think I can't take it on the one because either what if it doesn't work and B, yeah. get rumbled. So I grab another two, go back. You know, you know, oh, this is just at the end of the pandemic. So they're still doing that thing where you queue and you get directed to specific yeah. till. Oh, okay. And so, in fact, but it's all sort of 18 year old girls working the tills. And they obviously, they're, yeah, £3.20 for a bottle of wine could be. So I got, I got another two bottles, bing, ding, £3.20. Go through right somewhere. I've got to do the lot. I've got to get the lot. <laughs> um, so I'm back again. This time I get some bacon, <laughs> some nappies, some whatever, you know, make it look more reasonable and gra- grab another four bottles. Back to the tell, so I do this. I've nearly in, in, in tranches of three and four bottles. I've nearly got the over. Well, you're literally just sort of circling Charlotte's through out, the exit sh- into sh- the entrance. She's out, handing the wine to Charlotte. She's sticking in the car. I'm back in getting. So oh it takes it before I'm on the final trip. I'm getting the last three bottles, and I get to the front of the queue. And as I say, I've been getting directed towards sort of eighteen year old gum chewing girls. So this time. That tell, and I looked down, really hatchet faced, <laughs> stern, angry looking, and her sort of fifties. I'm thinking, oh my god, she is not. This isn't going to fly with her. So I go up and I put them down. She puts them because there's security tag too, yeah. and none of these eighteen young kids have got anything odd about this security. Security <laughs> tag, three pound twenty. Yeah. She she puts it through, and as soon as she goes, doo, doo, I see her stop, and she looks at the bottle, and there's a split. I thought, oh my god, we're over. And then she goes, ah. <laughs> so guys, so in the end, I think I got fourteen wow. bottles of Mon Rocher for about um I don't know eighty quid or something. I mean, it was like nuts, absolutely nuts. Wonderful, yeah. it is the... and we drank it all that day. <laughs> <laughs> we had about twelve people to lunch. So I was like, oh look at my fine stash of Mon Rocher. Yeah. Well, this is going to last a few. No, gone by midnight. <laughs> but it's one of the most expensive 
wines in the white wines in the world, isn't it? Or, depends or, or the, on depends on exactly the the, the, on the variety of which mm. one you're doing. But you know, a good entry level one is usually of sort of fifty quid. And, and from a off license, you know, yeah. Obviously, a lot more than a, than a restaurant. Yeah. But, Wonderful. Uh, what's what's um, bottle number two? Well, it, it, on the red, I kind of I've, I've learned gradually over the years. My friend Dan Keeling, who who I've known for a long time from the music industry, Dan signed Coldplay, who I famously did not <laughs> yeah. fail to sign. Um, <laughs> Dan did the deal. So Dan now obviously like me owns a fabulous chain of restaurants in London. <laughs> Dan owns Noble Rot, which have you know, there's one in Bloomsbury, there's one in Soho, there's one in Mayfair now. And uh, I'm the agony ant for their quarterly magazine. I sort of answer readers' food and wine queries in a fairly vituperative fashion sometimes. So um, Dan Dan knows a lot more about wine than me. Uh, but I've gradually learned that I always respond, I think because of the smoking and the life of um, excess and hedonism, I respond best to very heavy wines. I tend not to enjoy anything 12% ABV or less doesn't really hit me. So when it comes to reds, I like something powerful, old school, French, but there was Chateau Palmer, things like that. Um, so something of that nature, depending on our budget. What's our budget here? Yeah, I love the oh, yeah. Chateau Palmer. I, I mean, like, so. you've got to sell it in the pub, but... That's you fine. can subsidise, can't you? If I keep the riffraff out, let's face it. Yeah. I mean, sure. if, you, if you can find somewhere to buy <laughs> bottles for £3.20, then you're not. Yeah, we're just, just, just going to run just to this yeah. mysterious bargain. I, f- I feel that lightning will not <laughs> strike again. <laughs> the um, Chateau, do you know the, the story about, or part of the story about Chateau Palmer, who, par, who the Palmer is of Chateau Palmer? No. So he's a... Carlton Palmer? Uh, yes, Carlton Palmer, yeah. He's... Um, he was like an MP for Bath in the early 19th century. Uh-huh. And he was educated at Eton and Oxford. And he uh, became a major general in the army. And he bought uh, the vineyard. That's what, And, and um, it oh, became right. known as Palmer. But the vineyard was, it cost a lot to, to run. Sure and he started losing a lot of money and he had to sell it. He also became, also he owned Bath Theatre Royal as well. His dad oh. died and he inherited Bath Theatre Royal. But so much money went on trying to make the vineyard work that he, in the end, sold the vineyard and the theatre, and he ended his days like basically a down the, the, and out in London, like oh, begging for money. Yeah. Wow, I didn't yes. know any of this. Yeah, yeah. I've been happily drinking it for all yeah. this time. You know, I say drinking it all the time. So what? Well, you know, it's a special occasion wine for sure. Yeah. But um, now and again, like uh, the wine list at Noble Road is fantastic. And now and again, you get the odd bottle pops up. I think. You may have underpriced us. So it was a. I took a friend there for lunch a while ago with a seventy-eight Chateau Palmer that was fantastic, and it was not quite as expensive as I anticipated. But Dan could probably tell me why that is. Why that was a slightly less good year, and why the bottle was yeah. a bit cheaper. You know, I don't. I'm. I'm also terrible with names, so I'll, I'll constantly. Whenever I go there, Dan will uh, give us some new. Uh, new wine that they've had before, and I always just immediately forget the name. I yeah. need to get into the habit of photographing labels. Yeah. The, the other thing I was going to put on was uh, I wasn't sure whether to choose a champagne because uh, an excellent uh, Michel Gondron Blanc de Blanc they have there it's brilliant champagne but the thing with champagne is I don't like a lot like one very cold glass maybe two you know and even when you get down to that bottom third where it's getting a little warm I'm kind of take a leave Has that but cold, the first it? really fresh vibrant cold glass is always very welcome isn't it yeah, yeah. and I, it's that's, that's Drinking a lot of champagne doesn't do... That's something weird to me. It's, it's not a good... Have you ever done a champagne tequila bomb? 
No. <laughs> okay. When I was working in the record industry, we're going back, back to sort of mid-90s here, and we're literally looking for ways to burn money. How can we burn more money faster on our expense accounts? We invented the champagne tequila bomb. So if there were four or five, you to buy a round of this, you would buy a bottle of champagne and four or five shots of tequila. You'd pour the champagne into half pint pot, you know, to shear it out. And then you drop the depth charge of the glass of tequila into the champagne, foams up and you gun the lot. <laughs> now, there are a couple of downsides to this. Um, actually, Travis reappeared in this story. <laughs> so um, we're doing this one year. It was the Art House Hotel in Glasgow, me and a bunch of my friends who were Scottish, who worked in London, the music business, but we'd all come home for Christmas. And I was due, this is in the afternoon, mind you, we get on this champagne tequila bomb marathon. And I mean, we are mortal after a while. And I I was meant to be in the train down to heaven because I'm meeting my mum and my sister for an early sort of dinner in the pub. And I am, um, I miss train after train after train. So I'm thinking, oh God, I could just make it, but I'll have to get a cab. Black, you know, it's from 30 miles away. It's expensive black cab. So, but my golden, my saving grace is, uh, it was the year we'd actually sold a lot of albums with Travis. I had a gold disc, a Travis gold disc that I was going to give my mum as a sort of little, because I, you know, she'd love to have that on her wall as a little bonus sort of Christmas present. And so, Addled on champagne tequila bombs, I finally get in this cab and he's just drunk and journey down to Ayrshire. I stroll into the pub and go to reach under my arm to give her the gold disc and realise I've left the gold disc in the oh, cab, no. which is oh, run back outside to see its taillights disappearing. Oh, no. This is like, oh my god! So, but amazingly, uh, there's a happy ending, reader. Um, the, I got in touch with the cab company and the driver found it and had handed it into the. I mean, you know. Didn't wow. didn't flog it. In fact, I think this was just sort of this was pre eBay, so maybe it was harder to flog things yeah. like that, and it, yeah. then it became. But we got it back. But yeah, I don't recommend to your to your listeners that um, champagne tequila bombs are the. It's never a combination of thought no. of trying. No. As I say, a round of this would cost you about eighty quid. So it was just like, yeah, how can we spend more money? But those are the those are the days. <laughs> Great times. <laughs> John, do you enjoy a pub crawl? A pub quiz, sorry. Okay, pub I very much enjoy a pub crawl. A pub quiz, no, I don't really. But I mean, I'm very competitive. Yeah. Um, and it's it tastes. There's a lot of pros in that circuit, isn't there? The people yeah. that really, you know. And the annoying thing is, if you've done, if you've lived like I have, you always get you get drafted in as the music expert. You know, you've yeah. got to know. You know, any yeah. music question, it's like. And it'll be something like, you know, literally how many buttons are on Demise Russo's caftan? And then I'm like, what? It'll be some crazy extreme, which, you know, obviously I'll get friends who would know that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, have to, they have to put those in because you've got the pros going. Yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah. No, I just you, you usually find it a slightly... I'm, just, also, I'm really in pubs that do... There used to be a good one in Camden at the Engineer on Chalk Farm Road uh, that was very music industry, but that was a tough one. You look food records had a team, and you know you guys like um, Andy Ross and Dave Balfour, you know, dominate. So yeah, um, yeah, but, but not not for a long time. Not involved in a pub quiz for a long time. Oh, you know, oh, well, you're gonna hate this then. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, phones away. Put a gag on Siri. It's quiz time. Elvis's black belt was in karate. I saw it on QI. No half points for saying J.K. Rowling is the lead singer of Jamiroquai. Moira Stewart. No, I'm afraid it was Gordon Honeycomb. 
Well, we have a little uh, pub quiz sort of to mark the halfway stage of the of the pod. Oh god! Um, and it goes out. We go out in two sort of separate episodes, and this is on the end of end of part one. Essentially, it's three questions. I'll ask them. Don't answer now. We'll do the answers in the in the second mm-hmm. part of the pod, and I change up what we're gonna uh, what the questions are gonna be about. Okay. Different theme. And I this summer I read uh, for the first time uh, "Kill Your Friends." Apologies. So I thought, in honour of Stealth Fox, we could do um, fictional uh, serial killers. Because I assume sure. probably by the end of the second book, he's technically a serial killer. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but end of the first one. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah. So fictional serial killers, three questions, and we'll uh, have a think about them. We'll do the answers in a second. Okay. I feel I'm going to struggle here. I, I think you might be all I'm... right. I might be all right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You're not done brilliantly so far. On the <laughs> no. You know, there's a Stale Fox beer, one of the microbrewery. I thought I'd, heard, I'd heard something they, like that. They sent me a case of it. it was good. I don't really drink a lot of that sort of craft, early mm, stuff, yeah. but it was like an IPA, I think. Was it nice? So it was pretty nice. Yeah, a, lot, a lot of my friends were more into that, so they really liked yeah. it. Yeah. I'm trying to the name of the brewery. This is terrible because they were so nice to me. They, they they got in touch and said, do you mind us using the name for this beer? Like, yeah, sure. Niche question. Where did the name Stale Fox from the character come from? Can you remember? Well, I, I wanted an alliterative name for character. Yeah. So I always knew it was going to be Stephen something else. And yeah. I liked that it contained the notion of stealth and yeah. fox mm. um, with all the connotations yeah. that that implied. But the actual, the, I can't remember if he was the bass player. Star Sailor. Star Sailor. He's a friend of mine. Is he really? He is. And we've discussed this before. We've discussed this before because I think he said, I think he's he's met you or knows you or something before. He goes, goes, yeah, I've always wondered whether that's any slight on me. Well, I was writing the book. I've started writing the novel around 2003, 4, which was kind of peak of Star Sailor sort of time. So uh, there's a good chance that that was why it was. I don't remember specifically looking at this and thinking, I'll take that. But there's a good chance that's why it was in there. Definitely, yeah. but his his son's name is Ethan Stellfox, which is the best name I've ever heard. You can do any <laughs> job if you're called Ethan. Uh, Ethan Stellfox, yeah. fighter pilot. Yeah, I'd be, yeah. yeah. Tony Law, be, anything. You know, Prime Minister. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, on with on with your okay. Quiz. Let's run through these. Uh, what was the name of the TV serial killer whose day job was working for the police as a blood spatter expert? Okay. Second question. Which fictional serial killer plied his trade at 186 Fleet Street next to St Dunstan's Church? And what is the name of psycho serial killer Norman Bates's mother whose persona he takes on when killing his motel? Robbie's... I can confirm I, I would not be doing well. <laughs> it's time now to leave those of you who don't support Moon Underwater on Patreon. But if you'd like to subscribe, you can head to moonunderpod.com and sign up and you will get longer episodes and extra content. Uh, we'll see you in part two. We'll continue creating John's Dream Pub. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. 
Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm-hmm. 